This is Attack of the 20th Century. Thank you for joining us as we explore science fiction, fantasy, and horror films of the 20th century. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm your other host, Kim. Welcome to episode 33, where we review The Fifth Element from 1997. Be sure to look for us on Instagram and Facebook at Attack of the 20th Century. That's 20TH. We post our next movie selections there. You can comment, give your thoughts, and they just might make it on the air. So this episode's going to drop June 1st, but we're actually recording this on Memorial Day. That's right. It is Memorial Day. And it brings up an interesting question. Uh-huh. We like old movies. Uh-huh. We don't necessarily enjoy watching a lot of war movies, though, for some reason. Um, yeah, I'm not not saying that I'm not a fan of war movies, but yeah, they tend to be intense. And the war movies that I love the most, I watched at a younger age. So I think it's harder for me to watch them now. Yeah. I think, too, we're older. We have kids. Yeah. We have a son that's 16. Going on 17. Going to be, uh, you know, basically at the age of a lot of these soldiers are in these films. Right, exactly. That's a little tough to think about as parents. <laughs> we become <laughs> so pansies. So it's not my movie of choice, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what are some favorite films from our past, war movies that we like? Uh, so Bridge on, on the River Kwai. I watched that a lot growing up with my dad. And then oh, I yeah. you know, found out that was one you always watch, too. So we've watched mm-hmm. it, I think, a couple times together. That's a great... That's a good one. Good movie. Um I, I really love The Patriot still. I, it's, I loved, loved The Patriot when it came out. And of yeah. course now, hard to watch. Heath Ledger. Oh, that makes it even harder to watch. That's yeah. sad. <laughs> yeah, so um, The Patriot, of course, that's like, you know, America's founding. So Yeah, that's or, a fantastic movie. It is a great movie. Uh, I like Glory. Oh, Glory, Civil yeah. War story. I thought about letting our kids watch that one. Yeah, that is a good movie. Saving Private Ryan, again, love, love, loved it when it came out. But man, mm-hmm. that's a tough watch. Yeah, yeah. My brother and I always quote uh, Apocalypse Now. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a favorite of ours. Right. But yeah, it's not definitely it's definitely not a feel good flick. Right. It's it's <laughs> not. I mean, I guess it is entertainment, but it's not for entertainment's sake, right? Yeah. There's I don't know if art. it's educational. It's art. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if we want to take it out of the Memorial Day context, Braveheart was always one of my favorites. There's a lot of war happening in Braveheart. Yeah. <laughs> also, some it's tough to watch. It, that one feels less tough to watch, I think, because it's a culture and a that's not mine. You know, yeah. like it's it's not as close to home. I guess yeah. so. It feels. I mean, I realize that it's based loosely on historical happenings, but it, it feels almost like it's a fantasy because it's so far removed from mm-hmm. our, our recent history. Right. So. Well, uh, me and our oldest watched Gladiator over the weekend. Oh, well, that goes way back, too. <laughs> yeah, that goes way back. That was definitely a cool action, mm-hmm. you know, warish movie. Yeah. This the Romans, right? Yep. Romans. Yeah. They were known for warring. That was kind of their thing. Yeah. <laughs> I liked I liked that one better than the first time I saw it. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it aged really, really well, too. So what year did that come out? 2000-ish? Okay. Because I don't think 2000s. I've ever seen... Like, I've seen clips from Gladiator. I've heard it quoted. But that came out when I was living overseas. Mm-hmm. And it was not... I don't know that... Maybe I could have rented it somewhere, but... I, I definitely uh, see parallels with Ben-Hur. Same okay. kind of storyline. A guy gets done really wrong, uh-huh. and it's his quest for vengeance. Oh, I see, I see. But to get to his vi- his vengeance, he's got to go through all of these steps mm. over several years and years and years. Right, to- it's a long, he's in it for the long game. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
It's free on Pluto TV right now. Okay. <laughs> That's why we watched it. That's why you guys watched it. We should get royalties from uh, Pluto. For... Yeah, Pluto. Uh, <laughs> we're happy to talk about your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so what else have we been watching lately? Uh, I don't actually, I haven't been watching a lot because my, I've been kind of like head in the books. It's that time of year for me where, uh, as a homeschooling mom, we have practicums happening. I usually mm-hmm. end up speaking and sharing at those things. And I'm starting to prep for, I'm going back into the classroom next year, still with the homeschoolers, but I had yeah. a year off this year. So I'll be teaching our 10th graders next year with our homeschool community. So I'm in prep work mode. Yeah. So I haven't been watching. I have taken a few breaks and done some of my PBS shows. So I think Call the Midwife, I think I've finished out, I want to say this was their 11th season. It's been around a while. Mm -hmm. I love Call the Midwife. And of course it gets very... You know, it's it's melodramatic and it's mm-hmm. birthing moms and babies and all that fun stuff. But I just love that show. So that I've I think I finished out the newest season and uh, Sanditon, which is something I don't know when PBS rolled that out. Um, it's a little bit near and dear to my heart, just because it's based on the unfinished Jane Austen work. It's right. the last novel that Jane Austen never finished before she passed, and uh, we know I'm a British. She's in your top three writers of all time. Oh, yeah. I love Jane Austen. When I was taking breaks from my school prep work, that's that's what I've been watching. Okay. Okay. Well, after me and our oldest went to see The Batman Mm -hmm. with our pats, he came back and said, hey, you know, I'd like to watch these other Batman movies. I know it's been around a long time. And we grew up, like, well, they grew up, I grew up, too, uh, watching the old show, the Batman series. The Adam West. Adam West. Yep. Burt Ward. So he had seen those, of campy course. Campy Batman. Very campy, kind of silly. And then he sees this 180, the Batman. Yeah, our Completely bats. different tape. Our bats? Are we calling him our bats now? Our bats, He's I not guess our bats? So. Yeah, I, it works. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to say. Uh, so we started off with Michael Keaton and the Tim Burton Batman, the first two. Sounds some of my favorites still. Yeah. Yeah, they were awesome. I think he liked the second one better than the first one. Did he? Because it was more consistent in tone, mm. which I thought it was good. It's good to watch things through our son's eyes because they're fresh eyes. There's right. no nostalgia built in. Exactly. So the first one, he felt like has a tough time figuring out if it's campy uh, or if it's serious. Right. And dark. Yeah, I think because we were, it's Tim Burton, so we're playing with that. We're going to take Batman to a darker place yeah. than what we'd had in the past. But there's still a lot of camp, whereas the second one... And this is what got Tim Burton really kind of in trouble with the executives is like, it goes really dark. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they had a deal. I forget. It was like McDonald's or somebody that had a big deal. They expected a a kind of a kid's movie. Oh. And, you know, you got Danny DeVito biting people's noses. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember that just grossing me out. Even I can picture it in my head just as I saw it as a kid. For some reason, that was playing on repeat i'd spent a lot of time with my great aunt and uncle as a kid they were like the family babysitters mm-hmm. and that movie was on all the time at their house yeah like i watched it all the time right that was the grossest thing in the world for it me. was <laughs> just to think of someone biting your nose like i i can't that's that's, a a, ugh, that's, that's awful <laughs> well he's kind of sleazy and slimy too with the girls and yeah then, he is uh michelle pfeiffer of course uh looks dynamite but very much a sexualized performance right? oh yeah for sure I mean, I said all that. He, he liked that one better because it was more serious in tone, like consistent, mm-hmm. well put together film. Uh, he had watched the Val Kilmer version, the third, I think it's Batman Forever. 
I don't remember we the We watched name. it a year or so ago, and it was just okay. Right. So we skipped the fourth one. <laughs> we skipped George Clooney. Sorry, George. Uh, and he had seen Batman versus Superman years ago. Uh, so right. We, but we're going to go back and watch that take. Okay. But we wanted to jump into the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Right, right. We saw the first one years ago. You and I did. Right. And it was just like, it was okay. I think at the time, I wasn't too crazy about trying to take a comic book character and make it like a very realistic scenario. Mm-hmm. And that was really what the passion was, I think, driving this new trilogy. Was yeah. Like, how could you have a modern day superhero in a realistic setting? Yeah, I think that's where Nolan was going, right? That's where he was going. And I'm I'm okay with pretend world. Yeah, sure. They're superheroes. Let's, yeah. <laughs> they're comic book characters. Let's let them be fantastical. So at the time, I was like, yeah, the first one was okay. I liked it a lot better the second time watching it. Did you? Okay. Uh, yeah, I did like it a lot better. Um, but it's still, it's like an action flick. It's an action, espionage, you know, spy movie, basically, with a really right. cool hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, James Bond with, with more toys, cooler toys. Right. And I think Liam Neeson really helps as the baddie in that one. Oh, I forgot he's the baddie in that one. Yeah. And then the second one, you and I watched at the movie theater when it came out with Heath Ledger's Joker. Oh, yeah. The Dark Knight. Rises? Uh, I don't think it's The Dark Knight Rises. Is it, what is it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the dark. I think it's just called The Dark Knight, maybe. Maybe it's just called The Dark Knight. But anyway, uh, Heath Ledger definitely carries that film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, a performance for the ages. Right. And that was, I think that's uh, our son's favorite so far. That- favorite Batman flick was that one. Okay. And then we watched the uh, last one in the trilogy, the one that I'd kind of put off. And I have to say, the Bane voice was really disappointing. Oh, really? Because I did keep hearing it. I think I was back in the bedroom working while you guys were watching that. And I kept hearing this odd, like, why is the volume changing in there? It was weird. You know, we love Tom Hardy. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's jacked in the film. And I'd always seen stills. So I knew that, like, he's really buff in this movie. And he's like... A big baddie. But then the voice was like, was really weird. It was an odd voice choice for this guy that had grown up in kind of a a torturous prison scenario. And he had a real kind of upper class type voice. And then it's just the audio, like you mentioned, his audio was clearly overdubbed versus everybody else. I don't know. It took me out of it. I was like, what the heck? I wonder if they had to overdub it because doesn't he wear like a weird mask over his face? He did. (laughs) Pre-pandemic mask. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we but should have uh, known from that that mask mess with your ability to communicate with humans <laughs> <laughs> and then the Catwoman was a little bit of a letdown is it Anne Hathaway yeah no, yes yeah I don't I think don't she, think I ever saw that one she yeah I don't think so either but she uh she plays it real flat like I don't know oh uh, yeah I don't think she got a lot of accolades for that performance no, if I remember no. correctly it was good it's been fun you know it's been fun yeah of all my, all the superheroes out there, you know, we grew up as Batman fans. Sure. For sure. All right, let's talk about today's movie. This is your spoiler warning. If you don't like spoilers, hit pause now, go watch The Fifth Element, and come back and join us later. So we'll be talking about The Fifth Element from 1997. It's a sci-fi action adventure. It's rated PG-13, and it has a critic score of 70% on Rotten Tomatoes and a big old whopping 86% from the audience. So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. 
All right, so what in the world is it about? Well, in the 23rd century, former special forces operative turned cab driver Corbin Dallas must help save the world from certain destruction after a mysterious foreigner, Lilu, literally falls through the roof of his cab. The barely dressed Lilu is the embodiment of the title drop fifth element, and must be reunited with the other four elements in an ancient Egyptian temple to stop the great evil from annihilating the earth. Dedicated priest Vito and an androgynous radio broadcaster Ruby Rod join the effort to reunite Lilu and the elements, all while evading the sociopathic industrialist Zorg and his various henchmen. This film comes from the mind of Luke Besson. He wrote the original screenplay, right when he was in high school. Mm. And, of course, this film was released when he was 38, several years in the making. Uh, it was a, <laughs> Several. Several years. It was a big financial success. It earned more than $263 million at the box office on a $90 million budget. Okay. So what is your history with this film? Well, I know it came out, 97 was the year I graduated high school. I don't remember if I saw it in the theaters when it was out in theaters, but I mm-hmm. might have. Uh, but I know we watched it on repeat at my buddy's house. Like, you mm-hmm. know, friends of mine from high school lived just down the road, and it was kind of like a meeting point for all of our friends. And I know we watched it at their house multiple times after that. So it was kind of, we all kind of liked it. It was one of those movies you'd have on, you know, when people were hanging out. Yeah. Yeah, my story's pretty much identical. I didn't see it in the theater, but I definitely had the VHS. I had the DVD. Yeah. <laughs> it was on repeat. It was a well-liked sci-fi movie, and we were a sci-fi family at my house. So yeah. it was an easy one to put on. Uh, of course, this movie has uh, several people that we would know right from over the years. Oh, yeah. Including Bruce Willis mm-hmm. plays Corbin Dallas. That's right. So what what were some of your big roles that you know Bruce from? Well, we were a diehard family. Your family was a sci-fi family. My family was like an action movie family. So uh, Die Hard I watched on repeat with my dad Mm -hmm. a lot growing up. So I was always a huge Bruce Willis fan. He was like a hero to me. Yeah. You know, I've probably learned a lot of words that I didn't need to know at that young age <laughs> from watching a lot of Die Hard with my Words dad. like yippee-ki-yay? Is that yeah, what you're Yeah, that's about? exactly the word I was thinking of and some others. Uh, yeah, my mom was a big Moonlighting fan. Oh, so right. that was on back in the day. And of course, Die Hard. Yeah, my dad was a huge Die Hard guy. So mm-hmm. we watched those. I liked Pulp Fiction. That was a big one. Remember Unbreakable? Oh. We saw that one for the first time a few years ago. That's right. That yeah. was a really good film. It was. 12 Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. Armageddon. I wasn't the biggest Armageddon fan. That I is know one I've I, seen it, but I don't have a lot of recollection of Armageddon. Yeah. That is one I saw in the theater. It was okay. It was okay. Uh, the Sixth Sense, of course, was a big Oh, one. yeah. I see dead people. Yeah. Uh, Mila Jovovich plays Lilu in this. Mm-hmm. She's probably best known for this movie, really. But then also the uh, Resident Evil series. She did six films. Yeah. Wow, there's six films? Yes. I think I've only seen, what, maybe the first two? Yeah, probably. Wow, I didn't realize there were six. Yeah, very successful movie series. Gary Oldman, it was kind of cool because we watched the Batman trilogy I just told you about. Right. And then, so he plays Commissioner Gordon, and then we see him as Zorg. Just looks absolutely different. Yeah, our kids were shocked that that was the same guy. (laughs) (laughs) And we we have on the docket at the house Darkest Hour to watch because I yes. haven't had a chance to watch that yet. And I believe Gary Oldman is playing uh, 
What's his face in there, Winston right? Winston Churchill. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Like yeah, he won an Academy Award for Best Actor for that. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll talk about Gary Oldman some more, I'm sure. But what a versatile yeah. guy. Yeah. He's been in a ton of stuff we love. Obviously, he was in Dracula. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a Harry nice Potter. Pick. Yeah. Yeah. Sirius Black. Probably my favorite Harry Potter character. Yeah. Yeah. We love Sirius Black. Mm-hmm. He played Sid Vicious in Sid and Nancy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, biopic. I never saw that. JFK, he was in that. He's been in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ian Holm plays our priest. What was his name? Cornelius? Vito Cornelius. Yes. Cornelius, as Lilo, Lilo yeah. says it. <laughs> he also plays an alien. He plays in the Lord of the Rings as Bilbo Baggins. Yes, Bilbo. <laughs> I honestly didn't realize that was the same actor. You had yeah. to point that out to me. But right. Yeah, I don't know why. I just didn't realize. He looks so different as Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, he does. It's all the hair and... Yeah. You know, I don't know. He looks, I guess, plumper. <laughs> he does look plumper and, and aged. More aged. Yes. Chris Tucker plays Ruby Rod. You mentioned him in the intro. Luke Perry has a, an odd cameo. cameo. Yeah, at the very beginning there when we're kind of zooming back to the past to see how these elements got to earth in the begin in the beginning uh-huh yeah i'd forgotten luke perry was even in this movie until we watched it with the kids mm-hmm. i was like oh wait there's luke perry 90210 <laughs> <laughs> brian james plays general monroe of course i know him best from blade runner oh. he plays a replicant in that film okay and then Tommy Tiny Lister Jr., and I really didn't know that was his name. Uh, he plays President Lindbergh. I know him <laughs> as uh, Zeus. He was a wrestler. Like, he was right. in No Holds Barred with Hulk Hogan. Uh-huh. And then he actually wrestled for a while. But he, he plays the president in this film. I didn't know, yeah. I didn't know his name was Tiny, or he goes by Tiny. <laughs> <laughs> He's not Tiny. going to run through some standouts and setbacks now but i will say it's difficult to really objectively review a film that you grew up loving yes we've talked about that it makes it a little many times it does make it (laughs) tough you have attachments to it yes you know i always thought of this as being like a great bruce willis role because he's bruce willis and he's cool He's always Bruce Willis. Yes. But when I watch this again and watch it through the lens of like our children, because we watched it with our children this time, it's like, well, he's there's nothing really special about his performance, you know, and they're not as close to that persona that he has. Our kids have never seen Die Hard, so they don't know anything of like the Bruce Willis we know. Yeah. In fact, our daughter, she's 14, mm-hmm. like instantly when he's on the screen the first time, she's like, oh no, is this like our protagonist, our hero? Like, she was like, middle-aged white guy, I'm not interested in this. You yeah. know, yeah, <laughs> I was balding. like, oh man. She noticed his balding. And- <laughs> yeah, she's like, he's balding. Wah, wah. <laughs> and he kind of has a lackadaisical approach. You know, he's not like all in no. like Luke Skywalker. Right, right. You know, he's, he's kind of... He's, a, wa- he's washed up, right? Yeah. Like, that is his character. Like, he mm-hmm. has been part of some sort of, seems like Army Special Forces type guy, some sort of trained killer. Uh-huh. But all that's done and over, and he's barely making it as a cab driver now. Right. So he seems a little washed up. Yeah. Has had better days, you know? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and start us off with your first standout, please? Okay. Well, something I noticed just watching this um, this weekend is that the special effects have held up pretty well. 
yeah. Like you kind of, there's a ton of movies out there. The second you start watching it and start seeing, you know, whatever their definition of CGI was at the time of the making of the movie, like it becomes very apparent very quickly, like, oh, this movie was made in, you know, whatever. Special effects can be very telling. But I feel like these held up pretty well. There's nothing in it that's really shockingly like, wow, that's elementary or or very basic or what it, I felt like they handled it well. And I Mm -hmm. guess... Um, you had mentioned they had like three different teams working on special effects throughout the movie. Right, right. Yeah, they had, uh, they involved, it was a big team effort, right? So different people had different focuses. I think that worked well for them because it, I don't know, like nothing was glaringly like yuck when I looked at it. You know, the special, I felt like the special effects held up through the, what, I mean, that's 25 years ago now. Right. So, you know, we've seen other things where you watch it now from, more recent movies even you mm-hmm. can watch turn around and watch and be like uh eh, that doesn't look as good as i thought it looked yeah when it came out you know but i, I felt like this was this was pretty okay yeah i agree when i looked at star wars episode one which comes out a couple years later mm-hmm. i did have a lot of moments when i'm like ah gosh right. that doesn't look good exactly i didn't really have any of that with this no so the cgi holds up really well i think they do a nice job of blending like physical models yeah with CGI backgrounds. Well, and I we've talked we talk about this a lot, but I if you'll there's alien like creatures in this movie, of course, mm-hmm. and they are in actual suits. Mm-hmm. They're not CGI'd, and that helps so much. I think when you try and do, you know, organic textures, body mm-hmm. parts, and whatnot with CGI, that holds up the least. It seems to right. me as time passes, and and they were not. They were in suits. They were I don't know puppetry or whatever. Yeah. And those things looked like they should look. I right. Felt like they, they looked like looked- aliens. Exactly. Yeah, the the blue singer, the diva. Right. Same thing. You know, she's in full makeup. Yeah, it looks like latex. Know, latex. Prosthetics and whatnot. All that stuff. It holds up really well because it's a physical thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like a computer animated head. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you there. Uh, I'll throw a standout to Gary Oldman. We defined him last night to our kids as one of the greatest actors of our age. I think so, Yeah. I guess he's a household name, maybe not as much as people that are I think he kind of flies under the radar. You know, like Gary Oldman's name, people who love movies know Gary Oldman. People who are accustomed to just, you know, the... I'm trying to think who... Brad Pitt came to mind, but, you know... He's not a Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Not a leading man, maybe. Exactly. Not these guys that just are household names. But when you look at his body of work, Mm -hmm. he's a master actor. Yeah. It's very good. Right. So he said that he based this performance on Ross Perot. What? Which was a... uh, Politician. Or millionaire politician. Yeah, businessman turned politician. uh, Ran in one of the presidential elections. And Bugs Bunny. Kind of a crossover between the two. What a random combination. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Gary has a couple scenes which stands out to me. There was the one where he was demonstrating these guns that he's providing to the Mangalores, the alien mercenary race. Mm-hmm. And he has a mannequin like where he shoots it once, and then every successive shot goes to that same destination, no matter where you point your gun. Right. So he's pointing the gun at the Mangalores while he's talking, shooting away, and they're all freaking out. Like, <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> uh, of course, it's missing them going and hitting the mannequin. That whole sequence, though, was uh, really fun and uh you know, part of it, I think, is his take on this. Like, this isn't a normal bad guy. Right. This isn't Christopher Lee playing Dracula. No, 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 no. He's done his own thing here. Yeah, yeah. He's totally created his own character. 
of course, there was that classic scene where he knocks the glass off his desk and he gets very philosophical and explains to the priest why if you inject chaos into things, order is the result. Right. It's a little bit Machiavellian, but he has like this playfulness to it. Yeah, he does. Yeah. What about you? Um, I also love Mila Jovovich's performance. I don't think she got a lot of uh, accolades or any award. Well, no, she got an award, or she got, at least got nominated for a Razzie, I think, for her <laughs> performance, which I feel like that that's not, wasn't very nice. A little unfair, maybe. <laughs> yeah, a little unfair. I think she did a great job with the action scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, she... Obviously, you know, she's in great shape and she was very <laughs> bendy and flexible and seemed like, you know, she was just a good fit for the role. Mm-hmm. But she's also very convincing because she's like this alien or higher being. I don't really know how you describe the fifth element, but she kind of like shows up on Earth mm-hmm. as a very naive, um, childlike kind of person. And she plays that off very well. Yeah. And then, of course, because she is like divine or some sort of higher intellect, she assimilates information very quickly, but still has this childlike quality about her, which is, I, don't, I found it endearing. I, I just like the way she played it. Yeah. Um, and I love the fact that there's this weird language and the priest Vito calls it the divine language mm-hmm. that she speaks. It sounds very Italian to me. I don't speak Italian, but I don't know. It just sounded yeah. like Italian to me. So I was like, what is, what is this language? Well, apparently Luke Besson, the co-writer and director, he created the language for this movie uh-huh. and then let Mila Jovovich kind of refine it and develop it more. So and she's already f- fluent in like four languages. Uh-huh. She's she's a, a foreign actress, supermodel. Anyhow, she, you know, like most non-Americans, they speak multiple languages. <laughs> right. So anyhow, she took it, kind of made it her own. Um, it only has 400 words in the language, but they were able to hold full conversations. And they wrote mm-hmm. letters back and forth and would practice speaking it back and forth so that she got really fast. I mean, when you watch her in these roles where she's speaking her language, mm-hmm. like she's rattling it off the tongue like it's a real language. It's very convincing yeah. as a language. It sounds like a language. So I just thought that's impressive. I love languages anyhow. And anytime, you know, it's part of the reason why I love Tolkien and Lewis and, you know, even... Um, George Lucas, like they, mm-hmm. you know, people like that that can go to the the full extent of creating a language for characters and people groups that they're creating yeah. in their stories. That's really hard to do, and it's pretty impressive. So yes, it is. So anyhow, I thought she handled it very well, and uh, it was just a cool little side thing to the whole movie. Yeah, and I'll dovetail off that for another standout uh, to Luke Besson for his world building, mm. and that includes the the language creation. But there were several things I thought was uh, really cool about this world. You know, he creates this priesthood that are devoted to these alien allies. And that, that whole backstory, they don't give you a whole lot, but they give you enough that you mm-hmm. get the feeling, okay, I know what's going on here. You know, they're right. kind of Earth's protectors that live uh, afar, right? You know, in the movie, and the special effects have a lot to do with this too, but he creates this fast-paced modern society that's built on the credits and also constant surveillance. Oh, yeah. I thought it was interesting, like when the cops were uh, chasing down Corbin Dallas, mm-hmm. and they could see what he was doing, what his electronics were doing, and his electronic system could see what they were doing the whole yeah. time. So it was that constant, like everybody knows what everybody's doing. And this came out in 97. Yeah. Long before we were, I say long, I guess 25 years isn't that long ago, but it feels like it was. In technology well, terms, they're huge, right? Yeah, exactly. And we're... 
we're real close to living that sort of society, right? Mm-hmm. That much digital knowledge about everybody. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the different alien races, they don't really go through a lot of backstory about, like, the Mangalores, but they give you enough that you mm-hmm. you know what you need to know, and they're part of this overall world. Yeah. You know, they have this bad guy we already mentioned. He's very different than the norm. Uh, you know, they also showed, the like, the flight attendants and McDonald's workers. I, th- I felt like they were kind of, like, uh, sexualized to, to yeah. a degree. Yeah. Not to a degree. They very much were. Very much. Everybody's wearing, you know, they're all beautiful and thin and have, you know. A lot revealing. Yeah, yeah. Attention getting outfits on. Right, right. Uh, Then this whole entertainment focused celebrity craze society, you know, all the segments with Ruby Rod, Chris Tucker's character. Right. You know, that's like very much today. That's Mm -hmm. like. You know, social media, you know, like live feeds. Type you know, thing. it felt instantly like as I, we were watching it this weekend, it felt like an Instagram influencer. But instead, yeah. because this was 1997, like he's a radio personality. Yeah. But it could have been anybody else on YouTube or, or some social media platform. Right. Right. Like it just it it still is working. We understand exactly who he is in that movie. Cause right. We still have that like pseudo famous thing happening. Yeah. And you can see people reacting to uh, to Chris Tucker's character like in awe, like oh, he's the coolest. Like, oh, he's here! He's here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're starstruck. You know, they can hardly even. You know, they're shaking. They're so excited with the right. moment. But then you have people like Corbin Dallas that are just like, "Buddy, get out of my face!" Yeah, like you, know? you, you don't even live in the real world. But you know, I also saw where he um, Luke Besson he wanted to create a different looking sci-fi film. You know, in the past, all the science fiction films like Alien, everything mm. was very dark. And he wanted to avoid these whole, you know, dark spaceship corridors, dimly lit planets. Okay. And wanted to go for something that was very bright, more cheerfully crazy, yeah. as opposed to gloomy and realistic. I I think that's a good description, cheerfully crazy. Because even you being the Blade Runner fan that you are, um, we've, we've seen that around here, the old one and the new one, multiple yeah. times. Like the the world that he created that Corbin lives in reminded me very much. It had a lot of Blade Runner elements. Like yeah. kind of everything kind of has almost like a, a what's the little China feel to it, like yeah. an Asian market feel to right. it. But in Blade Runner, it is dark and dreary and just kind of a always rainy. Yeah, it's always rainy, a dystopian future where mm-hmm. this had kind of like that industrialized somewhat dystopian but then there's like this filter of cheerful craziness over the top of it right like it's bright colors (laughs) and there's happy people everybody doesn't seem sad all the time yeah like they do in in a lot of other sci-fi movies so that i think cheerfully crazy is a good description there it's yeah i think he he was successful at making you know the colors pop there's people that are like living the good life and Mm -hmm. you know it's just, yeah, cheerfully crazy. I like yeah, it. You know, we're fans of the new Dune movie. Uh, it's going to take uh, Denis Villeneuve, like, two movies that are both, like, three hours long mm-hmm. to build this world and to tell the story. Right. So Luke Besson, basically, I get, I'm giving him a standout because he created this world. He told a story, and he did it mm-hmm. all, like, in two hours or less, right? It was a very yeah. efficient way to tell the story. For sure. And convey the message for sure. 
Now, I wonder, because even though I'm not quite the sci-fi guru you are, I grew up with enough Star Wars and watching these other things that I can watch this and I'm instantly, like, I see these things that you're seeing and it makes sense to me. But <laughs> I'm just wondering if someone like, and I think my parents have seen The Fifth Element, I should ask them their thoughts, but like their generation or older or, or just someone who's out of touch with sci-fi in general, will they watch something like this and be able to figure out like, oh... Like, will they have the ties to it like we do to say, mm -hmm. oh, there's world building happening here and that's why this looks like this or this ties back to that? Like, right. or is this kind of a sci fi person's niche? Like, we understand what Luke Besson was doing because we have connections to other yeah. sci fi productions. I don't know. I mean, it lacks some of the gravitas of a serious sci fi. That's true. That's true. You know, so I, I think comedy in general suffers from being looked at as great art because it's funny. It's funny, right. That's and true. things that seem to be uh, endeared or respected by, you know... Critics, critics. and audiences for, yeah, for tend gravitas, be, yeah. Tend to be dramas or, you know, action dramas type... That's true. ...type of genre. Well, that kind of takes us to setbacks. What do you think the setbacks are? Uh, well, yeah, I'll get us started. I... Uh, Years ago, I thought Chris Tucker was very annoying, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I think he's supposed to be to a degree. Yeah, that it really like I hated that he was in the movie so much, um, and then I watched it uh, last night with you guys, and I felt exactly the same way. <laughs> right, <laughs> and I really didn't remember Gary Oldman dying that early in the movie. No, I know, I'd I'd totally forgotten that too. And I thought, man, you got Gary Oldman. Like, why do we have so much Chris Tucker? Like, we need more yeah. Gary Oldman, less Chris Tucker. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, we kind of joked watching it with the kids that Chris Tucker is kind of the Jar Jar Binks of this film, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. He's annoying. Like, okay, there's some comedic elements there. We get it. But then it, then you're like, enough already. We've seen him. We've heard him. Like, right. Move on. He got funnier as he got taken out of his world and was like yes. a victim <laughs> yeah and seeing him kind of like be a coward that was kind of funny right but that was the only time i really liked him well and then he became like the perfect foil for the tough guy bruce willis character the corbin dallas character right before uh, then it was him you know yeah it was just him being obnoxious yeah that, it was it was grating <laughs> it was great it was too much yes. and then uh that leads to the second setback which was really the pop music Mm -hmm. You know, early on you had the classical music soundtrack going on. Right. And, you know, even our son was like, I was waiting for something to say 1990s. Yep. And it was when uh, I think we see Corbin Dallas in his apartment and this kind of industrial 1990s beat kicks in. Yes. Like a poppy techno Very industrial. Very pop dance, yeah. Starts playing and you're like, ugh. I mean, you know, I guess it is what it is. You know, if you want a timeless movie, you have to have music that is timeless. Exactly. And not of the period. We've talked about a few this a few times on the mm -hmm. show. Uh, I guess it's not an evil thing to have a movie dated by the music, but... No, no, but yeah. I, and I don't... Maybe the aim for this movie wasn't to be a timeless piece. But I do think, you know, if you're trying to set something in the 23rd century, so it's always going to feel like it's in the future, mm -hmm. it... It's hard to hold on to that world building aspect when uh -huh. it's very clearly nineties pop music. Right. Playing in the background. Yeah. You know. So in the nineties it felt like something a bit more futuristic than the nineties, I think. Uh -huh. But now sitting here in twenty twenty two, 
It's like, oh, that's just 90s music. Yeah. <laughs> that's just bad 90s electronica, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, electronica pop. I don't know. Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel 23rd century anymore. Right. And the Ruby Rods show also had a lot of that pop yes. music going yes. on that was like, ugh. I don't know why I'm like, ugh. I guess I didn't like it that kind of music in the 1990s and right. I don't like it now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and I did have one more, I don't know necessarily that it's a setback, um, but just, you know, this is what, May 30th, 2022. And just right. in the last two weeks, we've had like three like large scale shootings in America. Mm-hmm. And so watching this, I get it. It's a sci-fi, it's meant for entertainment. Um, but just on the heels of that and then watching somebody walk into a crowded, I don't know, it was like an airport bus station type futuristic yeah. scenario and into a crowded concert hall where the, and just shooting, you know, random bystanders, like people just getting shot up in a, in a crowded room. It did make me feel uneasy watching that last night, just coming yeah. off of the heels of what we've experienced in America in the last few weeks. So, you know, that's that's the world we live in. That's, uh, sadly, that's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. That, you know, these aren't things that just happen on TV. So just knowing the context of what's going on now and yeah. then sitting there watching that just felt a little like, oh, this is a movie for entertainment's sake. And that's... Yeah. It's hitting a little close to home. So yeah. I don't, I, can we call that a setback? I mean, that's not the movie's fault. Right. That these things are literally happening. Yeah. Um, but it, it just didn't feel great. You know? Yeah. It's the timing of it. When they're doing this movie and filming it, they're not thinking of the real world effects. They're kind of thinking these are bad guys. Right. They want the ultimate destruction to happen. Right. And so... You uh, want to paint the bad guys as bad guys. Right. Like, why do we need to defeat these guys. And I get that. And that, you know, I'm not blaming this movie or any movie like it, um, for the things that real humans are choosing to do with their lives. I just, you know, it mm-hmm. just, it makes it one of those things as makes you feel uneasy. Like, yeah. you know, these are things that we have to face in real life. Absolutely. All right. Now's the time when we say yay or nay to this film. What say ye Kim? Okay, well, I'm going to give a disclaimer first because I'm going to put my mom hat on. Mm-hmm. Um, there is frontal nudity because Lilu's character gets recreated from DNA and, mm-hmm. you know, most humans are born naked, so whatever. Um, and there's some, you know, intimate scenes with Chris Tucker's character that we fast-forwarded through with our kids. So just <laughs> be warned about that. Um, yes. But that stuff aside, it's a yay for me. Of course, I have some nostalgic ties to this because I watched it right out of high school with friends. Um, but I do like that it's it's got that cheerfully crazy overlay. You know, the mm-hmm. tone of it is just a little different for the average dystopian future sci-fi. And I kind of like that. I enjoyed that. Yeah. It's maybe it's a Disneyfied version of of dystopian future. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't say that. <laughs> it's a little Wally esque, right? Yeah, yeah. A little bit. Yeah, so it's a yay for you. It's a yay for me. Yeah. It's a yay for me too, for the same reasons you mentioned. I think the uh, the the different approach for this sci-fi film. It's an action adventure, a comedy. It's a uplifting kind of sci-fi more so than a a big downer, you know, like a lot of science fiction. A lot of sci-fi is a downer. It's kind of a downer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But yeah, uh, I like the performances. I enjoyed it. So all the same things you said, I agree with. Yay for me. All right.
We had some comments on our Instagram regarding the fifth element. Okay. Better call Paul in CRE. We know Paul. We know Paul. He said, I had the soundtrack on CD, which is now playing in my head. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we just kind of trashed the soundtrack. We did trash the soundtrack. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. (laughs) Uh, And then Paul also made another comment, as well as Ty Starkey, we've talked about several times. uh, He owns the Chop Shop. Oh, yes, Ty. (laughs) Ty, they both said, multi-pass. (laughs) (laughs) Multi-pass. Good old Lilu. I like Lilu. Um, Chris Noel says, gotta think because it's too long of a comment. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Oh. So she has a lot to say about this film. Chris, get back to us. Let us know. The top 10 D-E-N says, the top 10 den, I guess, says, aging like a fine wine. Fire. Okay. Dead City Drive-In says, love it, love it, love it. Luke Besson is so far out there on this one. It's one of those stop and toss the remote movies for me. Along with Jaws. If it's on, I'll stop and toss the remote the way Martin Riggs does when the Three Stooges come on in Lethal Weapon 2. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was like a meta comment, right? That was meta. (laughs) Uh, Little Brooke Cosplay has a big happy face, so she approves. And then Ducket Jim says, I know this music. And that's a reference from the movie. Oh, when Zorg, basically, I'm trying to remember, it's right before he plants the bomb on the wall. Right. He comes in and he says, I know this music. He says something like, it's time to change the beat or something. Yeah, like yeah, it's time to change the beat. I think that's what he says. And then he sticks the bomb on the wall. Yeah, yeah. So what are we watching next week? Okay, next week we are going to cover the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We've already covered the 1956 one in last season, correct? That's right. All right, so this is a PG film, and it stars the likes of Donald Sutherland, Leonard Nimoy. I believe it even has, uh, what's his name? Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy makes an appearance from the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And this is what IMDb has to say about it. When strange seeds drift to Earth from space, mysterious pods begin to grow and invade a small town, replicating the residents one body at a time. Ooh. We haven't seen this one. We have not seen this one. And this one, I think, is supposed to be more horror than the 1956 version. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's rated PG, so I'm hoping it's not going to be too scary for me, but this this is probably (laughs) a... Further step from my comfort zone, zone, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And then Mike, uh, he co-hosted the first time we That's did right. this film. So we're trying to get hold of Mike and see if he wants to do this one with yeah, us. Yeah, we'll see if we have Mike with us next week. But all right. I think that does it, guys. Have a great week. Enjoy your movies, guys. Take care. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out.